Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Glad Tidings, the Athletics Everton Football Club podcast. It's Thursday afternoon and joining you as ever is me, uh, Greg O'Keefe, and my colleague, fellow Everton correspondent Paddy Boyland. We'll try and keep the kitchen appliance and wildlife noises down to a minimum this week. Because indeed, we're celebrating a good bit of news this afternoon. Well, certainly Dominic Calvert-Lewin will be celebrating a good bit of news with his England call-up. Um, before we go into that, we're offering you the opportunity to subscribe to Athletic for just a pound a month. You can access all of our writing on the Blues, including Paddy's recent piece on last night's Hattrick Hero, which explains why Calvert-Lewin is just so good at heading a football. The offer is only running for a limited time, so get yourself to theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod to sign up. That's theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod and you'll pay just a quid for a month. Right, Pad. Basically, I wasn't. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't being reductive about your piece. It was. Ba- it was. Why is he so good at heading the football? Isn't it? Tell us why. <laughs> yeah, it's important that you clarify that. But I, I did know. I think it's more clarifying that for the listeners. I did know that you weren't being reductive about my piece. That is basically what it's about. Although. Kind of as we as we go through, I, I, I speak to somebody about his heading ability, and I described it in the piece as elite. Um, what I mean by that is, I think if you're elite, you're kind of you're you're the best among your peers or among the best. And in a Premier League context, since the start of last season, 2019-20, no player has scored more headed goals than Dominic Calvert Lewin in the league. So I think that says an awful lot about his ability in the air. But he's also, he ranks really high for kind of things like aerial duels won, all that kind of stuff. And I just basically, I, I spoke to a biomechanics expert who had worked and I assessed Cristiano Ronaldo for a Sky documentary before. And he kind of, of his own accord, really discussed Dominic in relation to um, Cristiano Ronaldo. And I think Cristiano Ronaldo's really stand out as well uh, in terms of his heading ability. But there are comparisons to be made between the two. I'm not saying that they're exact, exactly the same player. <laughs> Steady. Um, yeah, big kind of disclaimer there um, before anyone gets too far ahead of themselves. Um, but what I am saying is that he, he's kind of in, in stature and in the way he approaches the ball. The expert I spoke to did see similarities. So I spoke to him, I spoke to Bob Latchford, Everton legend Bob Latchford, who I didn't see, I'm, I was I'm, I was too young to see in an Everton shirt. I've only seen YouTube montages of his goals and heard my dad and my granddad wax lyrical about his heading ability over the years. I'm reliably informed he was he was great in the air as well. Spoke spoke to Bob about Dominic's ability and, and what he made of it and, and he spoke about kind of what you need to do on the training ground 
to become a top striker, uh, a top header of the ball. And just loads of different people, just getting a, a sense of how this guy in Calvert-Lewin went from not really scoring that many goals, truth be told, to being this penalty box poacher. And time and time it comes back again to the same old things, doesn't it? It comes back to all those sessions with Duncan Ferguson in training and after training at Finch Farm where they worked on finishing together. Those two with a really close bond, as we've we've mentioned before. Ancelotti's bit of stardust on top, coming in and looking at kind of video footage with Dominic and how he can refine his game, refine his movement, um, become more of a penalty box striker. Uh, emulating people like I think he, he mentioned Pippo Inzaghi, didn't he? After um, the, the game against was it was it West Brom? After the game against West Brom, the hat trick against West Brom, Pico, Pippo Inzaghi was mentioned purely because of his one touch finishing. Um, and yeah, I, I guess we're starting to see some of that again. Disclaimer: some of that from from Dominic in the way he's scoring goals. I don't always think that. They're the most aesthetically beautiful to to watch. Um, and in, in most cases, they, they tend to be finishes into the corner, rebounds, headers at the back post, all the kind of stuff that you come to expect from a number nine. Maybe not the maybe not the standout goals of a Richarlison or a or James Rodriguez, but he is turning into a very good striker and a really potent striker. And we we, we spoke to him after the game against. West Ham in the Carabao Cup on Wednesday night. Um, we spoke to Ancelotti about him, I should say. And Ancelotti never wants to get too effusive normally, in, in my no, opinion. No, he doesn't, does he? He doesn't. Yeah. He's, he's kind of quite understated and he likes to keep people in check and manage expectations and all those kinds of things. I, I was really surprised when he described Calvert-Lewin as being on fire. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, Carlo, way more effusive than he normally is. But I think that's about right. I think... It, Sometimes we get too wrapped up in the cynicism and looking to be cautious with Everton because we've been burned so many times before by false dawns. But here, even Carlo's getting a little bit in a stress, a little bit giddy over Calvert-Lewin's form. What is that now? Eight goals in five games, two hat-tricks. And as, 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 as I think I wrote on Twitter, as I think you'll have wrote, written on Twitter, the England call-ups fully merited. I don't care personally about England call-ups. I'd rather actually had his feet up and he was resting ahead of the Merseyside derby. Um, that, that would be my preference. But it means a lot to Calvert-Lewin himself. I think it adds to kind of the prestige of of being an Everton player and all those kinds of things if, if players come to the club knowing that they can make that step. So there's some good here as well uh, and he richly deserves that call-up. It, it, it really, really is merited in my opinion. No, I completely agree. It's very much merited. You've seen England call up so many players in, in recent years when they've been experimenting with different systems and, and different ways of playing under Southgate for, for a lot less than his unbelievable start to the season. And, um, you know, the movement and, and the way he's playing, I can see him replicating it on the international stage as well. Um, and again, you know, there's the other flip side to it, which is, you know, Evertonians do tend to be or can be, I suppose at best ambivalent about England. And, you know, I think you have to go back to like sort of Nick Barmby and <laughs> seeing our star men get called up and then in Barmby's case, probably uh, trying to find a, a way out of the club when his head got turned perhaps. But 
Can remember Bill Kenwright famously wrote to um, the England manager at the time, <laughs> didn't need to try and implore him to select Barnby. But nevertheless, uh, it's, you, it'd be churlish to be too down on this because Dominic's spoken about it being a dream of his. And, um, you know, for a lad who cost what he cost, came through at Sheffield United. And like you said, he was almost a striker that didn't score goals. That was a tag that followed him in the early part of his Everton career, wasn't it? Um, and I, you know, I have to be honest, I didn't, ever predict this upsurge in form. He just seems so clinical now. He's a proper poacher and um, I can see him, yeah, I can see him doing it on the international stage and, and as long as he doesn't get injured, uh, then I'm, I'm really, really <laughs> pleased for him. His Fingers goals, are, yeah, exactly. His goals, of course, were a major talking point from the game against West Ham. Um, a few less so positive, really literally a few in terms of three injuries um, not great for John Joe Kenny and I don't want mean to undermine that but of course he's been or is an understudy for Seamus Coleman so while we hope and wish him well because we need him in, in uh, as backup uh, it's probably more concerning the injuries to Alan and Richarlison two hugely influential players in the positive start to our season and just talismanic in, in different ways how do you think that might affect us if they're not available against Brighton just very very quickly and you, you've not asked me about this so apologies but just to go <laughs> back to just to go back to John Joe yeah I, I did feel really sorry for him because mm. he's obviously he's come back from Schalke and he wants to make it work at Everton yeah but yeah. he's found himself behind Seamus Coleman I think Seamus had a really good perhaps slightly underrated start of the campaign in some quarters he's not taken up column inches but I actually think he's had a little bit of a kind of a mini renaissance in the in the opening five, six games of the campaign. I, I guess three in his case in the Premier League. So John Joe's found himself, he's come back and he's found himself, despite having a good time at Chalco, he's, he's found himself behind Seamus. So the, the Carabao Cup is an opportunity to impress, to really impress. And that was kind of cruelly taken away from him and... I know people get kind of pent up on, particularly on social media, as, as everyone tends to on social media anyway, but about Everton's injuries. And uh, they've got another injury again and we're cursed and we don't get any luck. And, and, or if kind of conversely people pointing the, the finger of blame at medical staff. You look at some of the injuries on Wednesday night against, against West Ham and I would just describe them as unfortunate. Quite often, I mean, John Joe goes to block across, doesn't he? And is is you can see his ankle almost on impact, twist in the ground. Um, one that I kind of winced at when I saw that from the um, from the main stand press box. Richarlison did his kind of racing back, trying to trying to tackle. I, I think, if if memory serves, and the same again with with Alan. You are right, though, that Alan and the. And, and the Richarlison injury, they're the two that are going to get fans slightly worried ahead of the game against Brighton on, on Saturday. Carlo was pretty positive after the game, particularly in relation to Richarlison. Although he said that while he didn't believe the injuries were too bad, in his words, they did need to have checks to determine the full extent of the injuries on Thursday. So today, the day we're recording, we're still waiting on those results. Um, but if the if the indications about Richarlison are, are, are true and he, he could still be in contention for Brighton, that would be a big deal, obviously. 
Richarlison playing in that position on the left that I think is is almost irreplaceable. Um, and I don't want to say that too lightly, but I think he is almost irreplaceable in this system, given the unique range of of elements that he brings to the table. He he's great off the ball, as we know, and I know you in particular. You focused on that before in pieces, his ball recoveries and his his tackles for a player in the front three. Those stats are really quite impressive, but just that ability to pick up the ball and drive, and that never say die attitude and. The, the the finishing the the ability to link with Dominic Calvert Lewin, you can you can get some of this from various other players in the squad. So Awobi might be slightly more creative, for example, coming off off the left than Richarlison, and Anthony Gordon might might offer the, the same direct running. But to wrap it all up into one player, it shows you what a unique player Everton have in Richarlison. So fingers crossed that, as Ancelotti said on Wednesday night that injury isn't too severe. Uh, it doesn't sound like it is in any case. Alan as well, I think I, to, to outline his importance, I'll go back to a tweet I sent during the game and James loses the ball against West Ham. I think it's in the first half. He loses the ball midway in West Ham's half to Felipe Anderson, I think it is. And the ball kind of squirts loose. Anderson goes herring after it down the left flank and you think that West Ham are going to be away. They're going to be on the counter-attack with Anderson, one of their most dangerous players, running into space. And just out of nowhere, Alan, from his position in the centre, races across himself, slides in to tackle Anderson and put the ball out of play. And I tweeted at the time during the game, live during the game, that it's the kind of run and interception we've not really seen to any great extent since Idrissa Gay left the club. And I think that's the best way of des- describing maybe his importance to this current Everton side. He's the, he's the guy that screens with Ducore at times. Ducore helps, digs in when, when Everton, like against Palace, are slightly under the cosh for periods. But Alan is, is your main guy in there. And I think he's he's had a really good start to his time at Goodison anyway. So it doesn't sound like his injury is quite... Maybe as 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 soft, if we want to call it that, as some of the other ones, particularly Richarlison's. You, you just have to hope those two guys are are close to irreplaceable, in my opinion, in the current I'm squad. Right. The only the only thing I would say is that I, I was pretty pleased with the other midfield performances on Wednesday against West Ham. This was it was Premier League opposition. They had people like Mark Noble in there, for what that's worth. And I thought Fabian Delph and, and Gilfie Sigurdsson were really quite good again. After, after turning up against Fleetwood and in Sigurdsson's case, Salford as well. well. What did you, what did you make of, I mean, you, you saw the game uh, as well. What did you make of Delph? To me, he looks like the one if, if Alan is out against Brighton, provided he's still fit, Delph and able to put in another 60, 70 minutes. He'd be the, the one I would plump for in there to just give that midfield a bit of solidity. I think so. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I think, um, I was pleasantly surprised how he played against Fleetwood and more so last night. Um, kind of seeing the Delph that many people didn't think we would see at all in a blue shirt, you know, and, and understandably so after his last game before Fleetwood being February. Um, if he can stay fit was the key part of what you were just saying then. But I'd, I'd, I'd think that starting him 
in lieu of Alan would make sense. And then you've got options then if he tires, you know, after 60, 70 minutes, you can, you can look at Tom Davies to come on. Um, but yeah, I, you know, he, he seems not a like for like by any means replacement, but he certainly seems to be showing what you can do a bit more. And he's got that um, solidity as well. He's going to sit. And um, I thought Ducore did well when he came on last night and thankfully he's fit. So it isn't the end of the world. And we do have the good fortune of after the Brighton game, the international break for Alan and Richarlison to get fully fit. So not the end of the world, I suppose. Um, of course, we are chasing remarkably, aren't we? A fifth straight win in the league. Um, after Palace, we got over the line against Palace. Uh, Blues, understandably, getting giddy. Maybe not so much some neutrals, particularly Roy Keane. Let's, uh, let's just listen to what he had to say about that. We talk about Everton. They've beaten Spurs. Lots of teams have beat Spurs. They beat West Brom, who were down to 10 men. They were fortunate with the handball. So let's not get too giddy about Everton either. <laughs> have you ever well, got then- giddy about anything? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, yeah, I'm, I'm all for Jamie Carragher's reaction yeah. there. Maybe I'll not go down the same road as what, when we were chatting before we started recording. <laughs> but I would say he doesn't get giddy about anything, does he? He does like to play the uh, the arch sort of uh, grump. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a contrary view. You could say, yes, you know, we, we have had the look of the draw, certainly against Palace. I don't think you can talk about anything but a fantastic performance at Tottenham. And, and again, you know, yeah, we conceded a couple of soft goals against West Brom, but then we blew them away. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, a little bit surly that one. <laughs> what do you make of our, our chances of, well... I suppose the Palace game and then our chances of, of going and, and doing uh, doing the business again against Brighton. <laughs> it was it was funny actually because you were covering the Palace game, weren't you, for the for the site and for the yeah. app? Uh, and I actually had I've been trying to wriggle out of a flat viewing. I'm moving moving flat <laughs> next month, so I'd be, I'd been trying to wriggle out of a flat viewing. So I ended up kind of going around this flat with Amazon Prime on my phone watching the game. Um, <laughs> So watching the game and obviously things are happening and I'm kind of trying to keep myself in check and look at the flat as well to, to see if it's if it's what I'm after. I get down after seeing the flat, get down to the main lobby and ask the, the guy on reception. So I didn't, didn't see a, a washing machine there. Is, is, is there a kind of a communal laundry room? And he just looks at me for a couple of minutes as if I'm some kind of bizarre specimen come from outer space. And says, yeah, there's one immediately when you go in on your left. And in, in the apartment, every apartment has one. And I just, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I probably took in about 50% of the, the apartment, much more <laughs> concentrated and focused on, on what was happening with Everton. I don't, I don't actually think, and I, I, I did rewatch the whole game later on, and it, it kind of tallied with my immediate impression. I don't actually think Everton played that well on the ball and in, in terms of possession and keeping the ball. Palace, particularly MacArthur and McCarthy, were kind of right up and at the midfield whenever they took possession off the defence and made it very difficult to turn around and and supply the strikers. But they did create Everton enough moments. And the reason they created enough moments, in my opinion, is because they have this superlative talent in James Rodriguez. And I, I tweeted a half-time in that game that the Everton goals just don't happen. Without somebody of his quality, he's not going to get an assist. He certainly didn't score the goals in, in, in that case. 
but the the, the kind of the round the corner pass to Seamus Coleman f- for the first goal was absolutely wonderful on his weaker foot, of course. And then the ball, the crossfield ball that we've seen so often to Luca Dean in the in the opening Premier League games creates the space from which Everton win the penalty. It's it's almost past before the past stuff. Uh, I think some stats kind of nerds term it um, pre-assists. <laughs> That's um, the one, yeah. Yeah, pre-assists, uh, the pass before the pass. And James does that very well as well. So Everton have that extra guile on the ball, like even if they're not necessarily consistently playing the right pass, you expect them three, four, five times a game at least with James to break through and to carve out good clear-cut chances and Calvert-Lewin's benefiting from that as we as we said earlier he's getting on the end of stuff um, Richarlison is as well but I think we're seeing Luca Dean and Seamus Coleman being really effective in attack partly because of James's influence partly because of Gomez's influence and just the the kind of the extra confidence in the side as well and again we saw the benefit of having Alan and Ducore doing what it, it, it seems unfair to call it this but the dirty work in midfield making those interceptions, breaking up play, tactical fouls at times, which every team needs to do, let's be honest. It it struck me, and I don't know if it was the same with you, but if Everton had played this Palace side, who I think have improved last season, with last season's Everton players, I don't even think they'd have drawn that game. I think they would have lost. I think they'd have lost 1-0 to a set piece because they <laughs> wouldn't have looked like scoring. Kuyate is about 8 foot 10 and was tiring over the defence and obviously scored one, nearly scored another. I think Everton would have conceded that goal still under Marco Silva. And I don't think they would have had the guile or the ingenuity without Hammers and without Calvert-Lewin being in such hot form to turn that round. So when you start, when you, when you win your home games and you turn tough assignments at Palace from defeats and draws into wins, that's a big statement of intent for me, even if it's early doors. That that's that's the kind of result that Manchester City get. It's the kind of result, dare I say it, that Liverpool get. In fact, it's probably not even the result Manchester City get because Manchester City aren't aren't looking great at the moment themselves, are they? Um, but you, you get the drift. I think it's it, it's kind of a Champions League qualifying result in isolation, um, and I'm I'm pained to do that because we we need to look at things over 38 games. But it does show Everton are on, on the right trajectory. Um, and I do think actually it's right for Everton fans to get a little bit giddy. We all need that extra enjoyment in our lives and we absolutely deserve it after some of the dirge that was served up in, in the second half of the campaign, particularly after lockdown. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Deadline day approaching Monday, eleven pm. Um, we've done a piece on the on the app now, on the site now. If you want to go and check it out about which central defenders may or may not be on their way to Goodison Park, we still absolute priority for Conor Ancelotti and Marcel Brands is to bring in 
another defender. Um, you know, you've seen Lu- Lucas Dean having to play there in the Carabao Cup. They are thin on the ground. God uh, forbid an injury to either sort of Michael Keane or Yerry Mina. So that's on the cards. Um, don't think we expect any other business. You can never say never beyond that. But um, just quickly, Pad, for people who've not yet read the article, um, we're still sort of thinking alone, but of course there is the development of this strong interest in Ben Godfrey that might might mean a permanent deal, might not it? Yeah, so, so Ben Godfrey obviously is somebody that was mentioned earlier this week in our columns in relation to Everton. Uh, he's been a player that Everton have liked for, for quite a while, actually. Although certainly earlier this summer was not considered to be a top target. That obviously was, was Gabriel, who went from Lille to Arsenal eventually. Godfrey is somebody that Everton have liked. And there's still a shortlist. There's a, there's a shortlist, a good number of, of players on that shortlist, we believe, including, I mean, who do we have? We had Tamori, Zuma, um, Onguene, Jerome Onguene, who I mentioned from, from Salzburg on, on last week's pod. We've written a little bit about him as well. Tadebo, Jean-Claire Tadebo, the uh, Barcelona defender. All these guys in the melting pot with others, it must be said, for that centre-half berth. Everton wouldn't have gone back into the market. Um, all indications were that they would not have gone back into the market without the injury to Mason Holgate in particular, but then also the one to Jared Branthwaite. But those injuries mean that they are looking at an option. And originally, as Ancelotti himself had outlined, they were looking at a loan signing. With some of those guys, particularly Tamori, who obviously they tried for, they did prefer the loan route and I think if, if, if somebody offered them Tamori right now on loan or Kurt Zuma right now on loan Zuma would not happen by the way but if somebody offered them Tamori right now on loan I think Everton would, would bite Chelsea's hands off the fact of the matter is though that certainly that's become more difficult than it looked at first and some of the other options are a bit kind of hit and miss in some ways with regards to how achievable they would be so we're in this situation now where I think it, it's slightly fluid. Everton would like a loan, but they're not completely discounting the idea of spending money on Ben Godfrey. And I think as we wrote in the article, Everton do like the player. The player would like to come to Everton. Norwich are unlikely to accept 20-ish million, which is, which is the figure that's being bandied around when the clubs have, have, have spoken to each other. And that leads us to this kind of fluid situation in which Everton like Godfrey, but they also like Tamori and they also like Zuma and various other players. It makes it, let's say, less than optimal for reporting when so many pieces of the jigsaw are still in place. But I think that's just the point we stressed in the article, wasn't it? That, of course, Godfrey is 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 a target. He's on the short list. But Everton themselves would readily admit, I think, that they're pursuing still pursuing a number of what you would consider to be active targets. So it's one to watch. We, we, It's no secret now that Everton like Godfrey and it's no secret that Everton wants a centre-back. When Carlo was asked about this on Wednesday night, he did his usual, which is say that he wouldn't comment on the speculation about Godfrey, but he did, and he doesn't always do this, say that Godfrey was, a, I think, very good player, if I remember the quote I took down <laughs> correctly. So yeah, Godfrey is somebody that's been discussed 
Um, would I be surprised if he ends up at Goodison? No. Would I be surprised if he doesn't end up at Goodison? Not particularly. It will all depend what's offered between now and the window closing on the 5th of October. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We needn't count our chickens in terms of Everton's men's side getting to Wembley just yet, although fantastic to be in the semi uh, quarterfinal rather of the League Cup. But Everton ladies are very much on the way to Wembley, aren't they? Um, fantastic result for them in midweek after another great result previously. They're flying at the moment, start of the season, going great guns under Willie Kirk. And uh, now, uh, uh, and very much uh, imminently a Wembley appearance. It just special things are happening for, for both teams this season, but the ladies have, have really sort of set the standard, haven't they? Yeah, I, I think that's entirely right. And getting to the Women's FA Cup final is a big achievement in the current context because I don't think that coming into the season they were seen by wider national media as being the ones that were going to usurp some of these sides like Chelsea and whoever else. Everton obviously beat Chelsea in the um, in the quarterfinal at Goodison on Sunday, which I was at, and uh, I, was, I was bowled over not only by some of the moves for the goals, but also the determination and how well-coordinated manager Willie Kirk has them. Uh, it's quality, there's grit. It's a typical Everton team in, in many ways, to be honest. And that was summed up, as I wrote in the piece, by Australian signing in January, Hayley Rasso, who uh, I described as a Duracell bunny. When describing her, purely because she just keeps on going and going and going. And when she's knocked down, she gets back up and then she gives it back in spade. She'll, she'll either go barging into somebody or she'll create a goal as she did against Chelsea. And that was seen as a shock result. But I think there, there was real belief in the Everton ranks from Kirk, the manager and the players that they could beat Chelsea. They backed it up on Wednesday night, the same night as the Carabao Cup game. Um, between Everton, Everton's men's side and West Ham. They backed that up by beating Birmingham 3-0 at Birmingham in the, in the semi-final to get into the final. And it's just, it's, it's a massive achievement. They thoroughly deserve to be there. Um, delighted to see the progress they've made. Um, and like you say, it continues that feel-good factor of Everton being, Everton's men being six from six, Everton's women now 100% in the league, into the final of the Women's FA Cup. The under-18s going real good guns in the under-18s Premier League, beating everyone in the site apart from Manchester City, and even that was a draw. And the under-23s, they, they thumped Derby County on Monday night with Ellis Sims scoring a couple of goals again. So I don't know what's going on, to be honest with you, mate. <laughs> Like I can't remember the, the last time this many Everton sides, this many sides that represent Everton did this well at the start of a campaign. And even if you just take the men's team in isolation, I don't know if you saw that stat from Opta. The first six wins, six from six, means that that's the first time Everton have done that particular thing since 1938-39 season. Yeah, it's remarkable, isn't it? It's, it's absolutely remarkable. And then if they were to be 
Brighton. I think that would be 1894, the last time they did seven from seven at the start of a season. So that puts into context, I think, how impressive just on the men's side the form has been. Then you add in the women's success, which is absolutely fantastic. Under 18s going well, under 23s beating some good sides and, and scoring goals. Across the club, there's an awful lot to be positive about. Um, it's a joy as a journalist to be able to <laughs> to write about that stuff, isn't it? You always want those positive, good news stories. And, and thankfully, at this moment in time, we're getting them. We certainly are. And uh, on a bit of a tangent, but nevertheless, a positive news story for Blues. Certainly one that put a smile on most supporters' faces was being not just top of the league briefly, but top of the charts, the, the iTunes uh, music charts, top 10 in the UK with Spirit of the Blues. <laughs> Anyone who's been to Goodison, I might say, be, or in fact been on Twitter in the past 72 hours, be familiar with that song. It's uh, it's an oldie from 1984, but it's uh, it, it, for me, it's really re- reminiscent of those Goodison match days that we all miss dearly at the moment. It's been number one after Blues got it, a uh, bit of a viral campaign really after the Palace game to get it to get it there people start sharing videos of various celebrities uh, dubbed up to dancing along to it and it just it started trending didn't it it all went a bit nuts yeah. next minute Everton were 1, 2 and 3 in the iTunes charts with that Zed Cars and Forever Everton uh, I'm not content with that they even managed to get Howard's Way the, the film released last year which you wrote a great piece about um, to the top of the uh, iTunes um, movie downloads as well so it yeah. was <laughs> Was, Did you have a favourite, by the way, of the um, the videos? Yeah, it's the little guy for me. It's the, I don't know the who he is. Guy. Yeah. The little guy in the glasses in the nightclub in some Eastern European country just dancing away yeah. like that. That was my favourite. Uh, my brother liked the Shawshank Redemption one. What about Oh, you? the Shawshank Redemption one was absolutely fantastic. I, I just, I, I love that because we'd had all, I think that came out slightly later than the others, hadn't it? And the, the, the initial ones were all dancing and this one, this one for Shawshank was just perfectly timed for the scene where music comes on in Shawshank around the prison and they're all looking up to see what's going on and they all stop. And it looks <laughs> like they're just, it looks like they're just listening and taking in this, the spirit of the blues <laughs> song. So I, li- I like that one. I thought the, um, the John Travolta. Uma Thurman dance from from Pulp Fiction was good, but that's just because I'm a bit of a, a Tarantino Pulp Fiction nerd, so I enjoyed enjoyed that. But they've all been they've all been brilliant, and um, it, it's great to see the success. It's also good to see fans being so positive and so unified on social media, which I think can be a difficult place at times, particularly after defeats. Um, just to see what can be achieved. When fans pull together, when Everton fans are united, um, there's an awful lot of them, as you can see from the numbers in the charts and um, some very funny messages to, to Miley Cyrus and, and various other people, Jason Derulo in the charts off the back of that. So, uh, yeah, I think it, it, it's good to see that kind of stuff in a week, isn't it? Purely, not just purely football related stuff, but stuff off the, the pitch as well. It, it all does add to that feel good factor, as we mentioned earlier. It certainly does, and let's hope we keep it going. Um, we'll obviously be back after the window closes next week to discuss who did and didn't arrive uh, as Everton look to really keep that feel-good feeling that uh, Paddy mentions there 
flowing with yet another win. Thanks ever so much for listening and we'll speak to you next week.